The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. It's that time again. Welcome to the True Wealth Show. I am your host, David Littlejohn. In studio is my hostess. Aw, Katie Shook. Thank you. I, you know, I love being here. I Sometimes I think I get a little distracted with what's going on in the office, like, you know, taking off one hat and putting on another. Sure. But uh, I love being here. It's fun to be on the radio. I tease that I think I could do this every day. It's that you much could totally fun. totally do it every day. It's To me, this is really fun to get to share with our listeners. Uh, I miss the ability to have call-ins. I would love if a show gave a chance to do more call-ins. Uh, the you know the board's not set up for it right now, and but yeah, I, let's let it go where people can say, "Hey, I got these weird questions." Um, here's my first question of the day, though. Uh-oh. As we're trying to figure out what's our topic of the day, and we do have one, believe it or not, uh, is at what point are you qualified to give advice? Oh, that is such a good question. Well, I have heard <laughs> you're qualified to give advice if you know more than the next guy. Okay. That right. That's the definition you. of an expert, right? Expert. Knows more than you. <laughs> um, I, that is such a great question. And by the way, um, I, I don't th- know that I have a really good answer. Like, I mean, obviously, if you're seeking financial advice, you want to make sure that you're seeking it from a professional, somebody who does it. As you know, as well, a profession, say, or has you the degree, sit, you or want, the homework, or somebody. I don't even care about the degree. I care about the quality of the advice, right? right. I mean, I've met some professionals that I've kind of thought to myself, self, I don't know if they should be in this industry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I have had too that experience. I would say, I would say, um, you know, if you, if it's someone that you view is doing the right things with from which you're asking for so like if you're asking for financial advice you should be asking someone who makes sound good financial decisions right somebody you look up to um if it's not a professional right like i'm, I'm thinking, laughing because i'm like i've taken advice before like i wouldn't do what i just did <laughs> like that's true well and sometimes <laughs> that's good advice as well but but it's the learn from my mistakes right like don't don't burn it like don't burn your hand the way i burnt my hand don't touch the hot stove it doesn't work that way But I would say, like, you know, I'm thinking, okay, if you were a teenager or a young adult, you know, peer-to-peer might be a little rough because they lack the experience, right? But looking to um, an older adult, a parent, a grandparent, or somebody that you feel is financially sound. So, and that doesn't mean that people that, you know, aren't financially sound aren't good people. It just means that if you're going for advice on a specific topic, I would look to the person that you think demonstrates what you're seeking. See, I like the fact He's that it giggling went at to me a little bit. <laughs> financial advice because I was thinking about it initially. It's just what qualifies you to give advice, period. Well, let's let's talk about I mean, it, it in a general way. It could be any kind of advice, right? If you're right? going to lose weight, you're not going to ask the 400-pound person in the room, right? You're going to ask the person that you feel is out of physique or exercises or diets or does something that you want to achieve, right? Look to the people that are walking the walk. See, I think advice is tricky because even the 400-pound person that's not walking the walk, this is like the doctor that smokes and tells you not to smoke. 
True. It's still good advice. They're just a bad practitioner, <laughs> right? It's like it's a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Uh, the reason I even brought the question up is because as I think about this, I think, well, there's lots of sources for wisdom. But one of the things that we oftentimes do is we associate wisdom and age together. And I think it's a false association. <laughs> I so. I mean, I know that a lot of youth comes with uh, less wisdom, not only because you don't have the experience, but because oftentimes uh, your brain's not even fully developed, right? And I'm not saying that like, you know, Oh, no, they say knock, actually like if you're under 25, 25. Yeah, uh, your like, brain literally, is still developing. So, and, and a lot of the way decision formulation occurs is in the frontal lobe, which is the part that's not finished developing. Right. Which is also why teenagers make decisions where you go, uh, what? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. Why did you pick that path? So I just think about these things and go, you know, there's some folks that are obviously, they give great advice. And I've had folks that are both my junior and senior in age that I've received fantastic advice from. And I've had the same scenario, I've received terrible advice. So it's not great. age, okay? And it's not necessarily practitioners because I've had great financial advice from folks that didn't have a whole lot of what would be traditionally considered uh, financially visible success. Right. Uh, I've had okay. fitness advice from people that weren't necessarily very fit. And it's not been bad advice. OK. So it's interesting because it's hard for me to necessarily put my finger on it. But oftentimes I know it when I hear it. <laughs> but you have enough experience to know it when you hear it. Well, and I think that's some of what happens is when you have a healthy degree of skepticism. Mm hmm. And you, you receive good advice, and then you can validate the good advice. I think that's the key, is good advice that can be validated. Right. Okay. And, and kind of going back to what you are talking about, age, I had a very interesting conversation with a woman who's twice my age and who was trying to tell me that because she was twice my age, she automatically knew more about every subject than I did because she's walked the earth longer. False. Well, I agree. That was the argument because <laughs> I said, look, the, you know, there are certain things in life that you do get wisdom from being older, right? Like you get life experiences and they teach you things. Sure. But that doesn't automatically make you more of an expert in every field, especially if this is my, let's say, like field of profession and this isn't your field of profession. Like I may know a few more things than you. Absolutely. So that was that was kind of the interesting debate. Yeah. And then the other thing, and I'll just say it, even though I know you all out there thinking it, some people just dumb. <laughs> can't fix there stupid. are some folks you, you just, just can't, can't fix, fix stupid. stupid. They're like, Ron really? White nailed that one. I'm sorry. You just can't <laughs> fix stupid. <It's> yeah. <laughs> now, the good news is none of our listeners are those people. No. We have really sharp listeners. We and do. I know, like you right now listening, brilliant. Yeah. Glad yeah. you're Give here. Your good, pat on the back, right? Exactly. Automatically the A crowd. But those people not listening, <laughs> questionable. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, yes, folks. We have a lot of fun on this show. Yep. So advice. Is there is there something in your life this week that triggered the advice question? Uh, it wasn't the advice question. It's just, you know, it's been an interesting day. There's been ups. There's been downs. There's been uh, the classic case of communication that uh, was received uh, inaccurately. Now, remember, uh, communication is two parts, right? There's sender and receiver. And just because you send a message that you believe is clear, if the receiver does not receive it clearly, then the communication failed either way. I always say that that's the truth, right? There's there's both sides of the story, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. Like it's it's 
That's kind of how I feel. But communication, you're right. right. Like you can say something and that's not the intention. That's not what you meant. Right. And clear communication, even that term is vague. Because are we saying like, you mean you understood the words like they were discernible or you understood the words meaning I received the intended meaning and know how to act appropriately. So it's fascinating that when you really get down to the finer points of language that there's so much room for interpretation. Which is why sometimes text arguing <laughs> There's the sign, right? Is, uh, that, and that can be the case of just a, a misconstrued... You know, when you read some your voice, you know, a lot of time we'll take our own, the way we feel, We'll read something that somebody else wrote. We'll apply the way we feel to that circumstance. And then you, you get fired up about it, right? Right. Or it, it, it triggers some kind of response that only to find out later that that That's was nowhere near the intent of, yeah. the, of the sender. And so, or uh, the tone. Yeah. And so sometimes, I love this term, but we borrow trouble, right? It's like, oh, let me just assume the worst. And it's not true. Yeah. So there, there are times we'll like borrow trouble. Uh, I don't like doing that. And that was so as we started thinking about the show today one of the things that we we talked about is well what are some of the life lessons so why did i ask what qualifies for advice well because sometimes i think to myself am i really qualified to give life lessons uh because it feels very grandfatherly to do <laughs> and i'm not grandfatherly but remember age and wisdom are not necessarily they're often correlated but they are not causal right so one does not cause the other right but they often have a high correlation so they, they come together in many cases but they don't cause each other so I have a question for you if you have a problem a personal problem you are trying to solve whether in are seeking advice do you seek advice from one or from many uh, I typically seek from more than one me too and I'm, that's why I'm kind of right. asking you what you personally yeah. do. I typically do. I'm discerning about who I choose and how I frame and so forth. Uh, I'm very careful about what I call data fitting. Yeah, because you're wondering, okay. are you asking the so, people that are automatically yeah. going to agree with your point anyway? Exactly. Kind of so, so, well, th so that's something called confirmation bias too. Right. And you've Let me about just that. find the people that agree with me. Okay. The echo chamber. Uh, data fitting's a little different. Uh, this is an interesting application for the purpose of our show. Okay. Right? Data fitting is something that, for, for all of you out there listening, you know that we have an investment shop, right? We usually use this show Every as education. Anytime you say shop, education. I think of like wrenching on a car. Like, we're, sh yes. we're shop. We're working hard for your money. You know, I don't know about <laughs> you, but I have to actually, you know, do I don't have to roll my sleeves up. That mouse isn't that taxing. But, uh, you know, we have to use the computers and do the stuff. <laughs> we do have to work. We actually work at our job. So... If you think about, as investment professionals, one of the things that we do, and, and we're a little unique uh, in, in our business, that we do a lot of our own money management, meaning we choose the investments that we want. We don't necessarily farm them all out to third parties. Okay. Uh, and one of the things that we do is really process-oriented. And so we have looked at the methods that we use in some of what's called system trading. Okay, so we have a very disciplined process for how we find what we want to invest in and then a very disciplined process for determining whether or not to own something and in what proportion and so forth. And it's it's driven by client investment objective and rah, 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 right? right. Oh, we're so smart. Pat us on the back. Whatever. Uh, the point, though, is how did we 
determine what system would work? Well, we tested and tested and tested, and we used all kinds of data and resources to do so. But one of the things you have to be very careful of is looking for data that confirms what you want to find. That's right. what data fitting is, is, oh, well, you know, if we always did this, this is kind of the, uh, the phenomenon of like, what if you just picked FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, Google. Uh, and, and so if you put those in any investment strategy for like the last five years, you're a big winner. Right. And so, oh, well, I came up with this way to screen for successful investments and look how great we and how smart we are. Well, duh, you put all the biggest winners in there every time. Is that really how you would have searched five years ago? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily, because you are the temptation is to fit data because you, you really want to find those to make your results look very good. Right. And it's not the way real life would have happened. No. <laughs> so, so data fitting is dangerous. And so we look for ways to avoid that. Much the way when it comes to advice, I try to avoid data fitting. I want to get advice from multiple sources. I like when advice sort of aligns and has, when, when you start to get parallel messages or similar pieces of advice, right. it's a, that's a more natural confirmation than if you, uh, now you, you still get bad advice, right? So, and sometimes, advice is opinion it's not fact right so sometimes well what do you think i should do i think you should do this well i think you should do that it's hard to know which one is right or wrong until after the fact so you got to make a judgment call i i like it when you are comfortable enough with the peer group that you're seeking advice from for them to say look you know i know you're too close to see it or emotionally charged or may not want to hear this but I think you should do this and then you're and then you kind of go okay like so having not having somebody automatically give you the advice just because you want to hear it but give you the advice that sometimes you need I, I have a name for this it's really fun you do I do but I, I'll share it after the break because oh. we come back I want to I want to give this fun analogy for exactly this like how do you know when you can't give yourself advice. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. <laughs> Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And we're talking today about well, advice. And it's advice. And it turns out there's a reason for this. Uh, but I'm going to first finish this thought. And for those of you just joining us, remember podcast. Right, so you go to uh, littlejohnfs.com, and we have the podcast posted there. It's in iTunes under True Wealth. You can also go to 541radio.com if you really love the radio station too. Uh, so anyway, the podcast will be there. And when we when we kind of went to the break, there's you know, Katie, we're talking about uh, getting advice and trying to figure it out, and how you how you. How get you it from lots of people. Your advice, how you, yeah, how and, you take it in. And I talked about, I have this funny uh, thing that I talk to people about when it comes to advice uh, that 
really helps give you a perspective on why it's hard to give yourself advice. Okay. Okay. It's the wingman theory. <laughs> I've heard this, but I like it. Go ahead okay. and explain the. So, and so, this kind of comes from like go, like Goose and Top Gun and. Like, well, it, so if you really want to get down to this one, this is a funny story. But uh, anybody that's ever been, you know, a teenager or in their twenties or whatever, and you've gone out with a group of friends and you know it's a co-ed event and you see somebody across the room that you're trying to that you're interested in you want to go talk to them then you want to have a wingman or a wing woman with you because that's the person that can occupy the friend <laughs> so that so you get a chance to talk because otherwise you know they're gatekeepers so you can't get to them and that was part of the deal so you have to have a wingman well <laughs> the thing about the wingman when it comes to advice is see we have all, probably a lot of our listeners, uh, It's this is a while ago, but there's some of you, you maybe live in this, right? Where you're in the dating world. Okay. And you had like a great date or whatever, and but it's brand new. Like, you know, you just start seeing somebody and you're trying to figure out, well, when is it too soon to call or not? And you have that awkward moment of like, well, I don't want to be too eager, but I don't also want to be standoffish. And, I wanna be, and, and so you overthink everything. Okay, when is it too soon to call? Five minutes after the date. Yes. That is too soon to call. Well, and actually, <laughs> a lot of this problem got solved by texting now. Because, you know, you yeah, kind of see the text, and so it's different. It's like a nudge, but it's not really an intrusive yeah. phone so, call. So, but for, you know, the rest of us that had to do that awkward moment pre-texting where you're like, well, when do you call? And I have to handle rejection rod, and, you know, my self-esteem is so fragile, and boo-hoo. Uh, so, the... The problem was that you get so caught up in the moment that you can't manage your own emotions, right? And so your emotions start complicating your decision process. Because we've talked about if you oh. are emotional, you can't be logical. Right. They don't exist in the same space, that's right? That's not the so, way we were created, and that's not the way we were designed. Right. It's a fight-or-flight thing. It dates back to that, right? It was a protective yep. method to keep you from dying. And remember, emotions do what? They sacrifice accuracy for speed. For speed. Exactly. <laughs> so like when when you're emotional, you're doing, you know, doofy stuff. And so this this is the equivalent of you take your book. Okay. So okay, I'm reading a book. Perfect. I want you to open it up and look at it and you go, Oh, everything's fine. Now I want you to just take that big book and put it right on your nose. Just lift it up so your nose is literally touching the page. And tell me, can you can you read the book? No. No, I can see. No, squiggles, unless but... you have really unusual vision, uh, in which case, <laughs> and even then, you can't see, read the whole book. See you a still get a few yeah. words. Uh, Not the whole story. Though. And so, so you start to pull the book away from your nose and stare at the pages. And at first, you may see two pages, and then it'll finally come together. And then you'll reach a point where you can see it. And then, if you push far enough away, you can't see it again. Okay. And the the issue here is perspective. Right? And the wingman's really valuable because if the book is touching your nose, what if you simply turn the book around and now you're touching the back of the book to your nose and you turn and look at your wingman or wingwoman and now they can look right at it and they can read all of it. So what's the point of that though? The point is having an outside perspective can be really valuable because they're no longer bringing their weird emotions into it unless you do that on purpose, right? If you you know work your wingman or wingwoman into a 
frenzy over something, right? Yeah. And you can do that, right? Like, oh, this person is terrible. I hate him. And like, I hate him too, right? All of a sudden, it's like, okay, that's <laughs> Why not going to... pitchforks come out so quickly on I, that, right? I know. Like, I just feel like it's a that, bad That advice movie. is no longer any good. If you're if you're wingman or wingwoman, I'm just going to call it wingman from now on, though, okay? But if your wingman is, uh, like, if they are so wrapped up in it that they're not, they're no longer giving you good advice either, like, they're emotionally invested... Okay, you need another wingman now. I feel like it's like the Beauty and the Beast scene, right? Where he's like, go kill the beast! And everybody like grabs their pitchforks and they're... Oh, it so happens. That, right? It's just the way riled people up are. crowd, right? So, the mob mentality. That's how, that's how motions work. So why are we beating this drum so much today? Well, there's emotional investors. There's emo- We're all emotional investors. There's this entire field of study now about behavioral finance what they have yeah. a name for it too? they have a name for it it's, i mean it's won nobel prizes wow yeah no this is really a fascinating study because a lot of what it deals with is the way we make decisions and there's two things that you should know about financial decisions in particular but all decisions right there are decisions that are normal and then there are decisions that are right <laughs> And they're not always the same. Okay. And I should say decisions that are normal and decisions that are correct, right? Not right, like right handed or taking a right turn or meaning they're morally justified. I'm just saying. Is this saying, like the ball in the bat? Like the ball in the bat thing? Well, like the mental yes, shortcuts that's, that that's you a take? Mental sh- yeah, and- that's a mental shortcut where you just make a mistake, right? A right. bat and the ball together costs a dollar five. The bat costs ten. A dollar ten. No, dollar five. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Everybody goes. Five cents. Or, no, it was. I thought it was. The bat and the ball together cost a dollar ten. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Right, and everybody goes ten cents. Right, but that's not right. It's not. No, it's five cents. Yeah. Right. The ball is five cents. The bat is a dollar five, and together they cost a dollar ten because the bat is a dollar more than the ball. Right. So if the ball is five cents, then it has to be a dollar and five cents for the bat. But we do this mental shortcut all the time. Yeah, we should go a dollar and a ten, and it's like, no, that's not yeah. what we said because that's then the bat is only ninety cents more, not a dollar more. And that's not what you said. Right, and so that's not really a behavioral finance thing. That is just a numerical trick because we do these shortcuts in our mind for math all the time because we hear, we do things so often that it becomes commonplace. And we didn't do the algebra; we did the math. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when it comes to investment decisions. People do this a lot. We talked a little bit about this on the last show. We did. Right? And it was around risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things we talked about is how investors will do what? Right? They how will, they evaluate risk or how they view risk. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that we often see, I mean, especially some of our younger investors that uh, come out of, uh, especially if they've uh, either been in a lot of debt and they got maybe hooked up with the Dame Ramsey wagon and, you know, the Get Out of Debt Parade, which is a great one, right? But right. I'm not knocking that. I'm, that's a great thing. Right. Uh, or maybe they've come from a family that's been really financially reckless and they're trying to break the cycle and get out of it. Right. Or it could just come from nothing. Yeah. So, but whatever the case, uh, folks that oftentimes are really highly convicted about wanting to be financially safe. Right. And we used words like safe, risk, right. like very emotional Very emotional words. words. And so emotionally charged words. And and sometimes uh you're so safe that you're safe from profits. 
Right. Which you got to, you know, it's like saying, oh, I'm so afraid that something's like I'm going to hit by a car. I'll never leave my house. Yeah. And you're like, wait, but you got to get out of the house once in a while. That's kind of the trick. And I, I got to tell you, you safety should. is a bit of an like safety and, and control. Both. Illusions. Illusions. They're, they're totally illusions. I mean, it's, you know, you can try to be safe, but there's no guarantee. Any- so the one thing I like that what you talk about is like guarantees, right? People are like, oh, my money's safe. I, I buried it in the, you know, coffee can out in the backyard. Okay. The coffee can can still erode. Your money could still disappear. Like, you know, you buried it, it in your mattress. Your house can still <laughs> ca- catch on fire. I mean, there's. There's nothing that is ever foolproof. Like everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to make it foolproof against. And it's like you can't protect against everything. There's there's not. Uh, and I don't care if it's using an insurance company or anything. I mean, there's there's no perfect safety. I mean, when folks will right now, there's some insurance company. going, Nope, I can show you an investor right now that's guaranteed. You know, well, it's guaranteed by the claims paying ability of the insurance company. Which what happens is if not, the insurance company yeah, goes belly up? It's not foolproof. Right now, theoretically, insurance companies have a dollar on reserve for every dollar of obligation they have. So they should be fully collateralized for all the risks that they have out there. Nevertheless, they are run by people, (laughs) people that make mistakes and uh, people that will get ambitious or people or people that didn't expect the legislator to change a law and all of a sudden completely say, yeah, alter your course of your business. Right. Government pensions or, you know, retirement pensions and stuff. And all of a sudden the yeah. pension changes. So there is no perfect safety. I mean, I have people uh, I won't say every day, but often. I mean, I see people with regularity coming in asking me whether or not uh, they, they've been they've worked for the government. Is PERS going to be safe? Right. And I can say to you, well, PERS is a, an obligation of the taxpayer, right? Right. And, as long and as so it's a constitutional obligation. So even if they mess it all up actuarially, the taxpayer is still on the hook to fund it. And the courts have backed it up saying, hey, you know, you can't undo the contract that's in existence. So it's pretty safe, but there's no guarantees. Right. Not, not, not like a real guarantee. I mean, I only make certain guarantees. And they're really hilariously fun to make. Like everybody's gonna die. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think I can make it. That's one of those guarantees, like death and taxes, right? Uh, things like it'll change. Not, yeah, <laughs> you know, not a hard guarantee. I can guarantee that it'll I change. won't make a guarantee I can't keep. Uh, there, there you go. There's one. So it's just that kind of stuff. It, 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 yeah, it, and and you really need to think about. I guess just the way you analyze the risk. And that's something that uh, we get back to this behavioral issue of folks will oftentimes, they'll mischaracterize risk or they will data fit and then they will do things because they want to see it their way. So they will, they're, they're just convinced it's going to be the way that I see it. And so therefore, and I've seen people that they're just right, even when they're not right. (laughs) So I got I got a fun story. How does it go? I, sure. I'm not always right, but I'm never wrong. Does it go? I like it. <laughs> can I can I use that? <laughs> sure. Heard okay. it from uh, so Tim Allen. <laughs> I've got this. I've got a story. It's a real life story about uh, improper risk allocation. How this happened. Uh, there, the names have been changed to protect the innocent because I honestly don't remember their names. But uh, it's a story about some folks that took on a crazy amount of risk and were convinced that they were not. 
But we got to take a break. So we'll grab it. And then when we come back, I want to share this this kind of a real life story. And, you know, maybe it's be something that we can all learn from. All right. Nice. So, so stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shepard. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. I still want to do like a, like a little like 30s jingle, like the True Wealth Radio Show. I don't know why. Just hey, go ahead. I just, like, <laughs> thanks. Just like, I just, every time you come back and you say the True Wealth Radio Show, I just want this like little like doo wop jingle in the background. Kyle, can I, you work on that? I want a jingle. Jingle, jingle. I, I'm not hearing it, but, but I'm, I'm not going to. It not, won't be my voice doing it. I have not. Tell you. Oh, well, now I'm gonna, now I'm going to overrule it then. Oh. Our listen, I know what our listeners want to hear. They and don't want to hear my voice. It's Katie singing a jingle, no, let me tell you. they do not. <laughs> well, I mean, at the very least, they'll smile. Oh, they will. They'll uh, kind of laugh and be like, that silly girl. What the exactly. heck? Exactly. What the heck? So I want to share people. a true story. I want to share a true story. Okay. Okay. I like true stories. Uh, true story. This, yeah, this is a true story. And it ta- it's about investment decisions and what is normal versus what is correct. Okay. And it was a really challenging spot that I was placed in. I was uh, much younger to the profession. And so this is so like over 10 years ago. Like This is right about 10 years ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago. Okay. Uh, so before Little John Financial Services was Little John Financial Services. Yeah, before Services. I was still employed somewhere. I'm not going to say where I was. I'm not going to say who or anything else. But I'm going to tell you when. Okay. Okay. And so the year was roughly 2007. Okay. And uh, I had a customer. I say customer because they were not currently clients. But they had moved to town. Okay. And they were interested in buying a piece of property because property values were rapidly escalating in this market. And they had a certain amount of money, but it wasn't going to be enough to build a house. And they had secured a lot. And then they had some cash. And uh, they came to me and were, because the real estate markets were so hot, were uh, insistent that they showed me, I think, two real estate mutual funds both of which had made somewhere 18, 20 plus percent the year before. Well, yeah, the market was like screaming, scorching hot it at that was, point. It was scorching hot. Uh, they could not get the fixed income returns that they wanted. Their time horizon was one year. Which so is they wanted like to invest short, for a year. Short. And they were saying, well, I just know that uh, this is going to go up, and next year uh, I'll cash it out. I'm going to use it to build this house I want to build. And they were convinced that this was the way to go. And I, uh, it's one of my bigger professional failings, honestly, is that I was unable to, through data or other means, dissuade them from the decision. Now, why were you trying to dissuade them from the decision? Because I think that that is an 
is a gamble. You're no longer taking investment risk if you're banking on a 20 plus percent return for 12 months in a non-guarantee environment. Right. Okay. Now, there are some environments where you could theoretically get a 20% return in a year. It's usually hard money lending or some kind of private equity sort of scenario. Where it's really high risk. Well, or it's really high barriers to entry and you can't just do it, right? You've got to know the right people and so forth to even be offered that deal. This is not a scenario like that. This was just over-the-counter mutual funds that this person wanted to purchase. And I remember just feeling this pit in my stomach kind of feeling of, I am not getting through to them with data. Saying, look, you know, asset rotation occurs. The the hot asset class, you know, rarely persists. I think you're chasing a winner. It's not, in my opinion, professionally sound. But they weren't going to hear it. They they in their mind, they'd sort of emotionally made the commitment, and they were data fitting, in my opinion. And ultimately, the one thing I think that I got right professionally was I wouldn't open the account for them, which is weird to say. But I said, like, I just can't be your advisor on this one I well it's like, I'm too uncomfortable with it's it it's like standing by and watching somebody set themselves on fire you're just like why would I be a witness to that why would I want to be part of that process yeah. like if I know you're harming yourself I'm not just gonna turn my head and go okay just do it I won't watch like it's this, no. this was one of those uh, you know it, it the market was hot if they'd done six months or something they may have made pretty good money but I as a professional, one of my obligations is to do what I believe is in the best interest of my clients. And for the amount of risk they were taking for the potential downside, I just was really uncomfortable. Now, this was 2007. We know what happened in 2008 for the stock market. Yeah. Plummeted like an airplane out of the sky. So, you know, 40 plus percent correction in many of the major asset classes, even diversified portfolios were down 25, 30 percent. A highly concentrated real estate portfolio could have been down more like 50 or 60 percent. It would have been uh, a cataclysmic event for that investor. And I have no idea. Uh, the fact that I wouldn't open the account, I don't know that they found somebody else to do it or if they just threw in the towel and did something different. I hope the latter. Right. Yeah, but because they didn't become a client. You don't know the outcome of the story. I don't know the outcome of the story. And I'm okay not knowing the outcome. Right. I, I want to know. If you're listening and that was you, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's okay. Well, we totally wouldn't see, call you out like you, that. Uh, honestly, it's been so long ago. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't recognize them. I wouldn't remember the name or any of that. That's not how it registered. The scenario. I remember being in my office with them and I remember the scenario. Right. But I don't remember it's all faceless details to me at this point. Uh but I do remember that conflict of wow, you know, you're you're really using data fitting to make the case that you want to make and I just can't get there with you. So there's a new thing that I've started to say in our office is what you can do and what you should do are not the same thing because there are times when people come in and say, I want to do this, right? It's like, okay, well, you you can legally do that. I mean, you're not breaking any laws, but let me let, let's let's evaluate all the scenarios and then talk to David about what he thinks you should do because what you can do and what you should do right like yeah you can do that but you're gonna pay a butt ton in taxes and that may not be exactly what you're trying to get at but so I think sometimes 
I'm always fascinated when people come in and go, I want to do this. And I'm like, so how'd you get to that decision? Because I want to, I want to know where the train of thought is, right? Uh, I want to know where you're going with it. I do. Uh, I do the same thing, right? Right? And so I go, all right, so walk me through why. Yeah. Like, tell me why. And sometimes I'm like, okay, even though it's not what we would recommend, you can still do it. And yeah, oftentimes, well, I, I like to start with the why because it helps somebody say, well, because of this on the other and go, all right, so let me help you. Here's the weak link in your in in the train of thought, right? So here's where we need to fill in some more data, and then they go, "Oh yeah, you're right. We probably shouldn't do that." Um, and this is again, after doing this for nearly 20 years, I'm a little more effective with a customer. And I there's something about having a few gray hairs now where I'm taken more seriously. <laughs> yeah, David doesn't have the doe face penalty uh, <laughs> for looking like he's 12. Yeah, but um, with the with a lot of folks, they'll come in and they'll say, oh, you know, I won't, you know, can I do this? And I can't help it. I don't mean to be semantic. It's just the dad joker in me that's like, well, you can do it. You just, <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, it's so, because I, what I really should almost just say is, no, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> but, no, but like, you don't want to make people feel bad. And I have found too that, you know, being in the room with you, obviously, when people are kind of talking about the scenarios, it's like, well, let's talk about the scenarios. They almost all the time come to the right decision on their right. own once they have all the data. But I feel like sometimes the original initial decision was made on partial data. That's a really a very true statement. And that's a lot of what I like to do, too, because in our office, uh, and, and you probably, so here's the weird thing, right? We cannot do testimonials in the right. financial, uh, in the fiduciary industry, at least. So like our clients don't do testimonials or anything like that. We don't put them on our website because we're not allowed to. Uh, if we could, oh my you gosh. would probably get a lot of uh, people that would sort of echo the sentiment that one of the things that, that David likes to do is sort of teach what's going on so that you understand it and it's a lot easier to buy into the concept right well and it's not even a buy-in i mean if you if you're making decisions and you feel informed and you're confident in your decisions right like you don't feel like you walked away and you're like well i went with his advice because i don't know any different it's like no let's let's have you be an informed person because back to the advice you may be the person that somebody turns to for Mm -hmm. advice and the more that you understand, the more education you have, the better advice you can give. Right. So now there are levels to advice. Right. Right. Uh, and so this is another kind of interesting one that so so let's do this. We'll grab our break and when we come back, I'll talk about there's sort of three levels to advice. Ooh, I like okay, it. Three so remind me the advice. three levels of advice. When we come back. So, this is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shug. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. 
Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Jingle, Katie. Jingle, jingle. Oh, no. Ha! See? see? Not even ready. No, not ready. All right. We'll work on it. Uh, meanwhile, don't forget podcast for those of you that are tuning in late. Today, we're talking about behavioral finance, which makes it sound super boring. But actually, what it is, is how do you know whether or not you're getting decent advice and making decent investment decisions? Now, before we left, you said there were three levels of advice? Three levels of advice. And this analogy is so simple, okay? So the three levels of advice are, what time is it? How does a watch work? How is a watch made? Oh, yeah. You talk, oh, we always talk about sausage. Well, you talk about watches, too. Yeah, but. so, but the, the simple one, and this is the thing, when you, and this is, comes down to what kind of person are you? Are you somebody that says, look, I don't, because we talk about how, oh, I really like to, to help my you know customers and clients understand what they're doing and I like to teach. True, but not every client wants to hear that, believe it or not. Not yet. Every client, not every client wants to engage at that right. and so, level. So this is the client that says, listen, I hire you because I like you, I trust you, I like the team, uh, I don't want to deal with this, it's not really my thing. So uh, that's what you do. So. They're the client that just says, just tell me what time it is. So level one is, am I making money? Do we need to change anything? Right. That's and, it. and that's what I'm, it's it's just, look, that's what you guys do. I don't know how to do this. It sounds fancy. Look at your pretty charts, uh, <laughs> whatever. Just just do it just for do me. Just do it. Right? Make it happen. So what time is it? Okay. And then there's the client that says, okay, so I kind of want to get a handle on, I want you to do it for me, but talk to me a little about what we're going to do. And so I can at least... You don't have a water cooler conversation. Give me a little bit more about why and because I want to feel more confident in how we're partnering. So why and what am I invested in? Right. And so they're the how does the watch work? Okay. Right. And then there's the person that says, you know something? I really want to know how this watch is made. That's the person that wants to get into really the details of, well, how do you pick things? Why this instead of that? What makes you choose one strategy over another how do you how do you blend them together yeah how do how you how you... do you work with all of your clients and not lose track of who has what right uh, you know these are actually really good questions so it's uh like information systems backgrounds like yeah, it's te very technical i would say not necessarily full-blown engineer types but more so they really want to have a good technical handle people. on what's going on right yeah they're they're the they're they're almost do-it-yourselfers, but they just don't have the time. Uh, and they, but they have an interest, so they want to know, like, well, how do you do it? It's, I'm fascinated by this. So and they tell are me the how people, it's made. They are the people that will call you and say, hey, have you looked into this stock? What do you think about this right. stock? I mean, they're they kind of they're always kind of seeing what sticks, right? Like, hey, do you have this one yet? Have you thought about this yeah. one? So they're they're reading all the journals and they're all the news feeds and exactly. everything else. Like they're in, they're well informed decision makers. Yep. So. These different levels of folks, uh, different levels of advice, right? Right. Now, notice I didn't say different quality of advice, and I didn't say that one was getting better advice than another. No. It's the level of detail, I guess the supporting evidence behind the advice. I would say 30 minutes, one hour, two hour meetings. <laughs> yeah. Pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> right? The first one's like, okay, just let me know that it's working. Let me know if we need to change anything. Yeah. All right, we're good. Let's catch up later. But an initial meeting, <laughs> like if we've never met you before, you could just count on at least an hour because I don't know how we could possibly give you quality advice without getting to know enough about what makes you tick to offer you real so advice. I, I would flip it to a different industry. You wouldn't want to go see a doctor and meet with him for five minutes and go, oh, I've heard enough. Okay, this is what you need. And you're like, but I haven't even told you about the three other things that are bothering me. 
Like I would want to make sure with any meeting that I have that I have a chance as a customer, as a client to really tell you what I'm thinking, what's going on with my money, you know, what my goals are for the money, like really have a chance to kind of divulge all that information. So if you're going on these initial consultations and they're really quick and snappy, ask yourself, are you really getting the service you want? Are you engaging at the level you want? Because that's a good question. It is. Um, and and then now, so so we're we're God, we're kind of wandering a little bit, but that's okay. the 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 idea here, though, is we're making this assumption that you're now going to get the advice from somebody else. What if you're going to do it yourself? Oh. Do, right? But do DIYers still don't get advice? Because I feel like DIYers still go get advice. Well, from I think places. DIYers get advice, but on different things, right? Uh, and this also is there's this big difference. You really got to make an infographic on our webpage at some point about the life cycle of what it means to be a client and how there's these two different tracks, and they're oftentimes sort of spoken about as the same thing. Yeah, the accumulation versus the distribution well, phase. Well, so that's the that's the money, the life cycle of your investments, right? There's the accumulation phase and the distribution phase. But in if you came to our office, there's these two primary themes that go on. There's an investment management theme, which now that investment management takes place in both accumulation and distribution. Right. Okay. So, but that's a life cycle of identify what the client's needs are, and then match a suitable strategy to the needs, march that strategy forward, and then continue to communicate with the client as the needs change, adapt the strategy. And it's an ongoing sort of circle of life, if you will, where you keep adapting as the needs move. Okay. There's another similar cycle, but they're really independent of each other, but people routinely call them the same thing. And it's the financial planning cycle. Now, planning is a more holistic look at what your money is doing. So, and what it can do, right? It's like a roadmap, right? Like, where am I going and how do I get there? Well, and it's, it's so much more than that when you start to get into things like, well, what do I want to do? Right. So uh, how how, much do I want to accumulate? Yeah. How much do I need to accumulate? What's my lifestyle cost? What about, you know, funding my kids education? How much insurance should I have in place? What's the appropriate uh, investment vehicle for the various tax strategies that I'm dealing with? If I want to start a business, you know, what are things that I should be doing as a business owner versus as an employee? Uh, What if my spouse has different circumstances than me? What if I have pensions or other things? Those are all these different elements for how should you handle the moving parts none of that is investment advice but it's all how money flows through your life but it's all relevant to your finances and it all commingles with the investments so <laughs> so it's hard to discern and so and the thing is some people charge for them separately some people commingle them some of them do a little bit but not comprehensive some do specific parts like oh retirement planning okay well that's part of a comprehensive financial right. plan. Insurance planning is not retirement planning, but can be relevant to your retirement plan. Right. Right. I mean, they're they're commingled. And so we did this terrible job in the industry of helping people understand the difference. And why? Why they all go together. Right. So uh, when you say, well, people get advice from all over. It's like, well, sure, you get advice from the shoeshine guy or the barber or the Internet. Right, that's favorite. Everybody goes to the internet or go to YouTube, right? Somebody out there is a guru, or at least they'll tell you they are. <laughs> I know. Uh, and, yeah, and we have a YouTube way, channel, right? It's, so you were talking about how the sausage is made. All advisors have their own way of making their sausage. 
So sometimes when you're shopping around, you're going to get different advice everywhere, right? So then it's trying to figure out which advice fits you the best. Yeah. And so I think the, the key takeaway on this one is uh, when you're looking for advice, one, make sure that the source is validated if need be. Uh, validate them through secondary means. Right. right. I mean, one of the things that we can validate with is, you know, like I have a certified financial planning credential. Well, that was a third party that credentialed me. Right. Yep. And and I have to maintain that credentialing. So that's that kind of thing. But whatever the case, I always tell people, don't get too emotionally t- tied up and then have your judgment clouded by your emotions. Oh, good advice. OK, so if there was a takeaway for the day, uh, we think with our brains not necessarily with our hearts. It's not that your heart is dumb. Don't get me wrong. Your heart is important, but we use our brains for that. All right, look, we are out of time. We hear the music, so we better run. Katie, how do they reach us if they want to contact our office? 541-375-0898. All right, gang. Well, you heard it here. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Don't forget to check out the podcast and the website at littlejohnfs.com. Till next time, this is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.